Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This is the second podcast in a series looking at technical education and technical skills in advance of an event being run by the Foundation on the 22nd of February 2023. My guest this week is Professor David Phoenix, Vice-Chancellor of London Southbank University, LSBU, and Chief Executive Officer of the LSBU Group. Professor Phoenix, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here, Gavin, and good to have you at LSBU Group. Thank you very much. Now, LSBU Group provides an interesting model. Can you tell us what it is and sort of how and why it was established? The concept's really straightforward. What it tries to do is look at how you can create an integrated system or approach to education. Um, So it tries to address the fact that within the UK... A lot of our education is siloed, so we don't really currently have a system at national level. We have the schools over here, universities over here, colleges over there. And to address that, with LSBU Group, the university set up, um, with support from local councils, industry and government, um, Southbank Colleges as a wholly owned subsidiary, um, and Southbank Academies as a wholly owned subsidiary. So we operate as a group And what we try to do is get each of the entities within the group to specialise and then we join up those entities to the benefit of of the local population and local business. And what results have you seen as a result of doing all of this? Well, I think initially, just to to take a step back and say, well, your question about why, why did we do this? Because trying to get your head around one educational sector is at times challenging. Trying to get your head around all three can be a bit of a nightmare. And there were a couple of reasons. The first, if, if you look back in, in, in history, certainly the big red brick universities, they used to actually do a whole range of things. So Liverpool, for example, was renowned for its community education, its, its extramural activity, its outreach. But over time, the regulation and the pressures of finance mean a lot of these things have fell by the wayside. So in the current day and age, whilst you used to be able to do a lot more, it's much more difficult to do that and be competitive. So the idea behind the group was to recognise the different regulations, to recognise the fact that if you were at a school... Um, it should feel very different to if you were at a college, which should feel very different to a, at a university. So it was trying to create the holistic offer whilst allowing the different specialisms. Mm. And that's the key thing, that you've got to actually create those specialist environments. And in truth, there's also then, from my perspective, um, a competitive advantage, because the university did a lot of work in terms of what we could call access provision. And by working closely with a college, we can actually look at how we can do some more of that outreach with the college, providing educational pathways into the university so it's all joined up, whilst then allowing the university to focus on the degrees, the research and the masters. So it addresses modern age need of dealing with the different regulation. It joins things up to give solutions to business but it allows each entity to specialise and try and create reputation in its own field. And within that context, if you see where where we're currently at, the work we've done has enabled us to create educational pathways across the group. It's 
it's like a scramble net so it doesn't assume you're, you're going to go up level by level in education you could go horizontally but we've tried to make sure that the qualifications do fit within a pathway so no offer we have is an educational dead end so if you were a young person who came to our academy at age 11 if you really enjoy the theory and and the classroom-based work you would probably stay at the academy which would mainly do A-levels. If you enjoy that classroom-based environment but you want a more applied feel you could transfer across at 16 to our technical sixth form which has a mixture of T-levels, B-techs and A-levels. It's got a range of different approaches and if indeed you were somebody actually who just did not prosper in a classroom-based environment, you could transfer across to the college and you could do a vocational course. And the aim is to put the power in the hands of the learner, not to make them feel a failure because they've not fitted with the ethos of where they're at, but to give them experience and exposure to those different routes so that they can choose the one that fits, fits their need. But if you went to the college and you did a level three qualification, so a level equivalent in, say, construction, wet trades, plumbing or or bricklaying or whatever, you would be able to then go back and do a higher qualification at the college maybe in project management and from there you could go on to maybe do a HNC in construction or in business and then from there on to a degree. Mm -hmm. So the development of those pathways, the concept's really simple but but that's worked really well. This presumably allows people who don't quite know what they want or find a passion for something a little bit later to still have options uh, to move from one place to another. That's certainly what we're trying to do across the the whole scheme and the system for that is clearly in place linking the academies, the college and the university. For the adult learners and remember a lot of our skills debate tends to focus on people who are 18 or 16 to 18. There are more people in the world that are over 19 and more people in, in the UK over 19 that require reskilling or upskilling than there are in school. So what we're doing with the college, although we're investing to create what will be the first new technical college of, of a generation, it's a hundred million development over in, in, in Vauxhall, we're also building what I think, if not the first, we one of the first dedicated gateway colleges that will specialise on special needs, maths, English, adult education, outreach. So in that case, what we're trying to do is re-engage with people who've perhaps been failed by the the, um, educational system, get them back into the college, the gateway college, in a very different environment. And then if they wish to, they can progress to the technical college and then from the technical college to the university. Mm. Um, And the whole system is also overlaid um, through the industries we work with. Um, with an apprenticeship model. So a lot of people can work um, within their own place of employment while studying. It sounds fantastic. It also sounds like it's taken quite a lot of work to get to this point. I guess I'm interested whether you think this, uh, the LSBU group model could be reproduced elsewhere and what it would take. What did it take you and the team here to, to get this working? We think it can be reproduced and we've certainly had multiple colleges and universities come to speak to us about the model and indeed I can think of two or three examples already that that are seeking to implement the model in different versions. What you certainly need 
is a range of institutions that have a shared mission, shared view, and are willing to sign up to work together. Because our group structure, because it's integrated, it's a whole, it's a corporate group structure, all the entities work to one strategy. They work under one executive team. We use one educational framework, but applied in the different contexts. And because we align the educational pathways, it means that we sometimes say no to certain parts of the group seeking to develop courses because they don't fit with the framework we're trying to create. So you have to have institutions that have that shared view and are willing to give and take and work together. But it is worth doing. I mean, we're already seeing increased applications to the college with about a 15% increase in level three um, already this year alone, around 20% increase in level two and level three applications. We see increased progression to higher education. With the schools, we have no needs. We, we have people going into work or going on to further study. And that's in part, I believe, because with the model, we're bringing the industries in to tell students, pupils, what the job offers are. And we recognise apprenticeships in the same way we recognise as jobs or higher education progression as a positive outcome. So the benefits are there of that collaboration and co-working if you can get institutions that are like-minded together. Now, a really interesting model. I want to take you away from LSBU Group just for a moment to talk about further education. And you, you sometimes get the impression that further education doesn't get the airtime that it could do, uh, or indeed the money that it could do from, uh, from some public policy makers because of higher education. And I'm just interested, is that true, firstly, but, but how do we change it? How do we increase the focus on further education? I think further education does require more discussion and greater visibility. I, I certainly agree with that. I think it's not helping by the fact that the only debate is often about the relationship of further education and higher education. The experience I've had in trying to set up the group um, what it's made me reflect on in quite considerable detail is the relationship between further education and schools. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the further education and schools angle, you find that currently, because there's a quasi-market, schools and sixth forms tend to keep hold of their students. They want to keep hold of as many as they can to remain viable, and you have lots of quite small sixth forms dotted around. That puts a real squeeze on colleges that have traditionally taught a range of, of um, 16 to, to 19 year olds. When people finish school, they're often promoted to go to university because that's the way you're expected to go or, or into work. And, and the net effect is that behavior within the schools and those pathways which are based on a minority, not the majority, mean that colleges are often then scrambling around to try and support people that don't fit rather than actually being seen as a proactive choice. So so I think in terms of income it's much easier I think to, to point out that if a college is teaching the same course as a school to a 16 to 18 year old there are different funding allocations. If you're teaching somebody 19 and above on the same course in the same class you get less money even though those people who are mature learners often require additional support 
because they've already been through the system and, and, and maybe not succeeded, maybe not through any fault of their own. So I, I think that comparison with the schools, both in terms of the challenges that causes for colleges and in terms of understanding the, the cost differential that's built up over time, which is very clear when you look at the stats, is much simpler because the relationships of colleges and universities is, is more complex because that, that has high levels of regional variation. If you're in an area where there's a university and lots of colleges, the university is likely to do a lot of the level six. If you're in an area where there isn't a university, the college is likely to do more level six. It's much more complicated. Yeah, no, I can see that. I guess the other player in this that we haven't talked about is industry itself. And uh, further education, higher education schools are, to a certain extent, trying to give people the skills they need to go into industry. And I'm just interested what you think that the sort of the balance between all of those is. And I guess I'm asking, does industry expect too much from the people that come out of the education system? Should industry be doing more? How does it work with LSBU in terms of bringing industry into the system? I remember getting some people from industry because we, I mean, part of what we do within LSBU is we're, we're focused on technical education. And just to be clear what that means, because I don't think a lot of people do understand, what we mean by that is it's applied education and applied research aligned to business and employer need. Um, so in effect, we don't cover a wider range of subjects, we have a narrow range of subjects, but in the areas we cover, we seek to be internationally competitive. So it's a narrower focus, very applied, industry-based. Now, if you look at that context in terms of the way we operate, then we do a lot of work with business. And we brought businesses in that they'll talk to students. Um, and they, they often use that line, well, we're not getting the skills we want. And students, I remember one meeting of students, and they said, well, what have you done about it? And that's the key question, because the industries that work with us closely, they provide placements, engagement, they actually feed into the curricula. Um, and I believe we're providing um, graduates that meet their needs from the college and, and the um, university. And indeed, we have people from the schools going straight into industry because the industries undertake casework with the pupils in the schools, so they're quite, quite employable. What industry often means is you're not producing the people that fit with our culture or understand our systems or can hit the, the, the ground running. And that does require them to, to actually co-design and be part of the solution. So I do think there's a role for industry. The question then is, what is that role? Part of it, I think, is around curriculum design and also providing opportunities for learning and experience. There is also a question around finance and some of the work we've been doing within the group, we've been designing with industry a range of the new higher technical qualifications and we've been working on, on um, short course design. You've got three potential beneficiaries from education, the individual, the state and the employer. And the balance of payment should surely reflect the balance of benefit. So if somebody's taking a, um, a degree, they get a lot of individual benefit they've got they've got a product that's transferable that stays with them for life and it helps with job opportunities so it's quite right that through the current fee structure students make a contribution and indeed by writing off some of these fees government make a contribution on the short courses they've been specifically designed to meet a need of industry so my argument there would be that 
Surely industry, therefore, should take a lion's share of the cost with government because of productivity increases, rather than the student, if it's not creating a transferable, internationally recognised um, award in the same way. Mm. And what do you think the role of apprenticeships is in all of this? Have we got the right sort of systems for apprenticeships? Have we got the right sort of scale for apprenticeships in the UK? I'm really positive about apprenticeships. I think, I mean, within the university we have about 7,000 employer-sponsored students, one of the highest in the UK. And we see a number of those switching to apprenticeships. Apprenticeships are very powerful in that they give you, at higher level, a qualification often embedded and the work experience and your earning while you learn so you don't come out with all the debt. Um, that can help in multiple ways in terms of social mobility, etc., etc. So they're really, really powerful products. I think, though, that whilst the government's approach and the infrastructure's have been very positive in supporting access to apprenticeships. We do need to recognise that, A, work to make sure that that operates effectively from an educational perspective still needs some additional work. So, for example, um, there is very little progression still from a level three apprenticeship to a level four. There's no reason why that should be. So we need to do more work on those kind of transitions. We also need to make sure, in the same way there's been a review of things like BTECs, that we recognise that some of the level two apprenticeships can be very valuable, some of them perhaps less so. So how do we make sure we're getting that, that value um, out of the apprenticeships for the, for the learner? And I think we also need to be a bit more risk-based because within this space, you have a mixture of organisations like mine um, with over 100 years of experience, large numbers of employer inputs and experience and, and international recognition in terms of course delivery. You've also got new institutions that have been set up in the last year with maybe tens of, of students. So you could understand why in one case, if it's a new institution, you would need more central oversight to make sure the standards are being met and that everything's right. But trying to manage everything to that level of control to make sure that things are being put in place overly complicates, creates too much bureaucracy and slows down the ability of institutions like LSBU to be flexible and meet the needs of the employer. Certainly the education system is not adverse to a bit of bureaucracy now and then across all its different elements so I, I can see where you're coming from. Uh, we've talked mainly about the UK and I just wondered if you thought there are things that we can learn in this technical edu education space from other countries and maybe ones where there are on a national level in the psyche a, a, a clearer understanding of the different roles of sort of more technical and more academic education. I think there's two things in countries where technical education is more established that we need to learn from at a high level. The first is positioning. If you speak in the UK about technical education, the majority of people will think you're talking either about entry-level qualifications in terms of the one that's always cited, plumbing, or you're talking about a mode of education that you do if you can't do the normal form of education, let's put it that way. That is really holding us back. It's a bit like the class system. If we're really going to promote and develop high-quality, internationally competitive technical education, we have to position it as such. 
The educational framework is defined in terms of knowledge and skills at all levels on the international standards. The difference is the balance you put on the skills assessment versus the knowledge assessment in terms of the type of institution you are. So what we can learn from overseas is the fact that those institutions that specialise as technical institutions can be as competitive as the most competitive selective research institutions because they're very different but the business links lead to jobs. And, you know, again, looking at LSPU, if you look at the LEO data, which is the data that the government assesses from HMRC in terms of the starting salaries graduates get, we certainly see at LSPU those links to employers and the subject mix mean that uh, we're in the top 15 in the country regularly in terms of the starting salaries. We want to do even better than that. But it's those kind of stats that, that help us reposition. I think the second lesson to learn is that as well as being clear on the positioning and what technical education is, it's engaging people at an early age. And I think that's where, if you look at the recent Skills White Paper from the government, that I thought was a really good paper. Um, I thought that really lays the foundation for change, some fantastic things in there. The area I would have liked to see more about, though, was understanding that relationship with schools and how you actually engage people at a younger age such that they really can have a choice by the time they get to 16, rather than being told, this is what you do. You either stay with us if you fit what we do, or you leave if you don't. And we've got to resolve that, because if, if you're forced to leave because you don't fit with the school, you're feeling that's not your choice. Again, it's that feeling of failure. Yeah. So, so it's, it's positioning and it's early engagement and real choice that we need to address. Fantastic. We're nearly at the end, but I want to ask you one final question. If we wrap up everything we've said and put a positive view of what might happen in this area, where could we get to in 10 years' time on technical education? I, I think, especially with the growth in interest in areas like apprentices, if we had a really concerted effort by key stakeholders, industry, government, employers and institutions, educational institutions, we could get to the position where there was a better understanding of technical education as a quality offer. And I think if you get to that point, then you can start to get a differentiated education system that enables that choice to occur. Because you you will get people doing things like we're doing, which are bold, different, and really focused on trying to operate in, in a different way. So I don't think we can fix everything in, in five to ten years. We don't move quickly in the <laughs> land of education. But that positioning could really move forward. And I think as part of that, if we could really define what we mean, that could help us then with the regulatory burden and the recognition of, of how we manage that within the UK or within England. Well, let's see how all of that pans out over the coming years. That's all we've got time for. But uh, Professor David Phoenix, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Gavin. I've enjoyed it. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Professor David Phoenix, Vice-Chancellor of London South Bank University, LSBU, and Chief Executive Officer of LSBU Group. On the 22nd of February 2023, the Foundation for Science and Technology will be hosting an event on technical education. Details of that event, which is free to attend either in person or online, 
can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk forward slash events. Also on our website are details of all our other events, all our blogs, our journal and all previous editions of this podcast. Until the next time, goodbye.